Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by their good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company, and you can find out more by visiting the website johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. We have great guests for today's show. Kathleen Pasadomo, our state senator, can't join us. She's on a conference call this morning, but uh, I had an interview with Sydney Powell yesterday. She is the author of a terrific read. It's called Conviction Machine, Standing Up to Federal Prosecutorial Abuse. She wrote this along with Harvey Silverglate. We'll look forward to uh, playing that interview today on the first segment. Uh, Very interesting. You've seen her on Fox News and other media outlets uh, as she represents Michael T. Flynn, uh, the uh, former uh, chief of staff of the White House, of the Trump White House, who was of course, taken under by the uh, Mueller investigation. There'll probably be a pardon coming from that. We'll also visit with uh, Boo Mortensen. Boo is, uh, we'll find out what's new with Boo, as well as Seton Motley. He's the founder and uh, president of Less Government. It is March 17th, St. Patrick's Day, and on this day in 14, 461, I should say, 461, St. Patrick, a Christian missionary, bishop, and apostle of Ireland, died in uh, Ireland. Much of what is known about Patrick's legendary life comes from the Confessio, a book he wrote during his last years. He was born in Great Britain, probably in Scotland, to a well-to-do Christian family of Roman citizenship. He was captured and enslaved at age 16 by Irish marauders. For the next six years, he worked as a herder in Ireland, uh, turned to deepening religious faith for comfort. Following the counsel of a voice he heard in a dream one night, he escaped and found passage on a ship to Britain, where he eventually reunited with his family. According to Confessio, in Britain, Patrick had another dream in which an individual named Victoricus gave him a letter entitled The Voice of the Irish. As he read it, Patrick seemed to hear the voices of Irishmen pleading him to return to their country and walk among them once more. After studying for the priesthood, Patrick was ordained a bishop. He arrived in Ireland in 433 and began preaching the gospel, converting many thousands of Irish and building churches around the country. After 40 years of living in poverty, teaching and traveling and working tirelessly, Patrick died on March the 17th, 461, in Saul, where he had built his first church. Since that time, countless legends have grown up around Patrick. Uh, made the patron saint of Ireland, he said to have uh, baptized hundreds of people on a single day and to have used a three-leaf clover, the famous shamrock, to describe the Holy Trinity. In art, he often portrayed trampling of snakes in accordance <clears throat> with the belief that he drove those reptiles out of Ireland. For centuries, the Irish observed the day of St. Patrick's death as a religious holiday, attending church in the morning and celebrating with food and drink in the afternoon as only the Irish can do. The first St. Patrick's Day parade, though, took place not in Ireland, but in the United States, where Irish soldiers serving the English military marched through New York City in 1762. As the years went on, the parades became a show of unity and strength for persecuted Irish-American immigrants and the right, uh, then a popular celebration of Irish-American heritage. The party went global in 1995, and the Irish party uh, government rather began a large-scale campaign to market St. Patrick's Day as a way of driving tourism and showcasing Ireland's many charms to the rest of the world. 
Today, March 17th, is a day of international celebration as millions of people around the globe put on their best green clothing to drink green beer, watch parades, and toast the luck of the Irish. Well, not so much today. The uh, St. Patrick's Day Parade has been canceled in downtown Naples. The one in uh, New York City canceled. And, of course, that all comes down to the uh, coronavirus. It is truly time to hunker down while Naples restaurants remain open. Traffic is drying up and more folks are just staying home to avoid the exposure to COVID-19. The city and county have declared a state of emergency. Uh, and while Kathleen Passanimo can't join us today on the show, she did, did issue a statement. She said the most important advice from federal and state officials is for seniors over the age of 65 to stay at home. This is a population at greatest risk, she says. The state's emergency operations center has been activated to level one. And what that means is the Florida National Guard is mobilized to support health care workers with testing and caring for patients who are in need. The Florida Department of Health has ordered supplies to assist in response to the outbreak, and the agency hired an additional 100 epidemiologists. <clears throat> the Florida Senate has agreed to direct millions of dollars in state funding to respond to COVID-19 and its impact on Floridians. And the website where you can find out more is floridahealth.gov and then slash COVID-19. Uh, the symptoms of COVID-19 include fever, cough, and a shortness of breath. Symptoms may appear in a few days or last as long as 14 days following or after 14 days following exposure. Most people recover without needing special treatment. <clears throat> so, uh, you know, of course, we need to just avoid contact with those people who are sick, staying home when you're sick and avoiding people who, uh, who are in poor health. Oh, there's just uh, these are all common sense suggestions, but uh, one here is washing your hands often with soap and water for at least 20 seconds, which I don't think I've ever done in my life, especially after going to the bathroom before eating, after blowing your nose, coughing, or sneezing. And uh, of course, you can use that Purell or some sort of sanitizer, alcohol based sanitizer, uh, when you're touching doorknobs or, or any type of, uh, and of course, Keep your hands away from your face. Those are the suggestions. Donald Trump, President Donald Trump, announced four basic guidelines <clears throat> Monday to be followed by all Americans. For the next 15 days, he suggests, he says, school-aged Americans should study from home where possible. All Americans should avoid groups of more than 10 people. All Americans should avoid discretionary travel. All Americans should avoid eating in public restaurants, bars, or food courts. We'll rally together as one nation and we'll defeat the virus, he added. Trump has been sharply crit criticized for underplaying the severity of the crisis, struck his, stuck to his optimistic tone about the nation's response. Everybody is well unified and working so hard, he tweeted. It's a beautiful thing to see. You know, and I think he's absolutely right. I saw a poll that suggests that two-thirds of small business owners are optimistic even at this point in the coronavirus. So that's good to see. I think that's important to have, maintain that positive attitude. And of course, as we announced yesterday, coronavirus vaccine trials begin, uh, began yesterday with at least one subject receiving a first-ever experimental dose of the potential inoculation. And even if this works out well, of course, it's going to take trials and all types of time in order to get to a market maybe as, as much as 18 months. 
So we'll be following that as well. And in the midst of all this, financial markets got creamed yesterday in anticipation of a COVID-19 recession. The Dow Jones Industrial Average, as you know, it dropped, plunged 2,997 points or 12.9%. Largest point loss ever and the second largest, I believe, percentage loss in the history of uh, financial markets. Uh, and now, if we want those markets to turn around, we've got to see the light at the end of the COVID-19 tunnel. Economic activity will not pick up until the fear dissipates, in my opinion. As soon as all this, is, uh, as there's positive news about treatment and cures for the, no, uh, for the coronavirus, that's when you'll see an immediate change in sentiment, in my view. So, um, yeah, I'm, uh, count me in. I'm going to participate. I'll do all the things that the president recommended. I think we all should. It's pretty clear that we're all. This is all tied in together. Financial markets, our health and well-being, business activity. It all ties together, and uh, it all starts with each and every one of us. As the old saying goes, is if it is is to be, it's up to me. We all have to. We can't be pointing our fingers at the government or the president. We just have to modify our own behavior. Well, the United States could pump $800 billion or more into the economy to minimize damage from the coronavirus outbreak if Congress passes a payroll tax through year-end. According to this, is according to Larry Kudlow, who I respect enormously, he said that yesterday. We have an enormous fiscal plan. It's at least $800 billion and maybe more, he told reporters. Uh, just as scary, though, for a majority of the battleground state voters. This is so interesting. Uh, now, uh, states are voting today. Of course, we're voting in for mayor's Naples, the mayor of Naples, uh, and uh, city council today. Those elections are going on in uh, in Ohio. The cancel the elections have been canceled by the governor, even uh, resisting a court order to keep the elections going today. So. That could end up in some sort of a, a court situation. But anyhow, uh, the majority of battleground state voters in the looming po is the looming possibility that Democrats rush to embrace socialism could win in 2000, uh, 2020 election. That, according to a new survey from the polling company and, provides, and provided to Secrets, voters fear that the shift from democracy to socialism will lead to bread lines, rolling power blackouts, long lines at medical office, and a new secret police force. We've all heard and seen the horror stories. Socialism has wrought havoc on nations throughout the world, but do voters think it could happen here in the United States? An incredible number do believe these horrors could, could happen in America. Overall, the survey found that 63% are concerned that the Democrat Party is morphing into socialism. What's more, nearly 4 in 10 Democrats are concerned that the Democrat Party is becoming more of a socialist party. Voters have a broad understanding of its promises, like guaranteed housing, free college tuition, government setting salaries, and so forth. Well, most Americans just don't like that, even 4 in 10 Democrats. This is an important, I think, signal in finding from the polling company that perhaps uh, we will have some sort of a firewall against the advance of socialism here in the United States. All right, coming up, uh, we're going to be visiting uh, with Sidney Powell, the author of Conviction Machine. We're going to be doing that and more. By the way, this segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. And when you go to naplesillustrated.com, sign up for On the Town 
It's a list of some of the highlights of things that are going on here on the Paradise Coast, many of which probably have been canceled. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Shore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards with six full productions this season. But did you know that Gulf Shore Playhouse brings unique theater education programs and opportunities for children, teens, and adults alike? Education is a vital component of Gulf Shore Playhouse's mission, providing programs aimed at enriching the lives of our children, teens, and students of all ages. Each offering provides real-life skills and learning experiences that are invigorating, nurturing, and readily accessible to every member of our community thanks to the scholarships and reduced-price programming for our region's most deserving students. From in-school residencies and pre-professional theater training to community partnerships, audience engagement, and student matinees. The goal is to inspire creativity, encourage self-expression, and support the blossoming of self-confidence, collaboration, and a deep appreciation for the arts. With each passing year, Golf Show Playhouse continues to touch the lives of tens of thousands of students throughout Southwest Florida. Isn't it time that a young person in your life finds out more? For more information about student camps and the Teen Conservatory, visit the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you can find out more by visiting the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. You just heard the uh, uh, advertisement for the education programs at Golf Shore Playhouse. The uh, production of The Lion in Winter has been delayed, postponed, uh, indefinitely at this point. And, of course, that's just one of the casualties of the coronavirus or COVID-19 that uh, we're seeing right now. It's a real shame. Uh, it's having a big impact. Hopefully, we'll see the arts being supported through this period, difficult time, and they'll continue. I certainly served on the board of Golf Shore Playhouse for 15 years as the uh, president, chairman of the board, and uh I really want the best, not only for Golf Shore Playhouse, but all the performing arts. I think they make such a great contribution to the community and to uh, young young people, giving them confidence as they build their skills in, uh, in the public forum. 
All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Sidney Powell. I conducted this interview yesterday, not in anticipation of playing it today, but uh, it's so interesting. You'll, it's, uh, she wrote a book called Conviction Machine. She's also representing Michael Flynn in the uh, terrible uh, way that the Mueller probe took him down trying to get to President Donald Trump. It didn't occur, but nevertheless, she's one of my heroes, and we're going to play this interview right now. We're visiting with uh, Sidney Powell, as a former federal prosecutor and co-author of a terrific read. I just finished the book, and it is very concerning. Every concerned citizen should read it. It's called Conviction Machine, Standing Up to Federal Prosecutorial Abuse. Uh, you've uh, certainly seen Sydney, I'm sure, if you've been watching any of the media outlets. You've seen her in her representation of Michael T. Flynn, uh, former uh, prosecutor, or I should say former chief of staff, uh, for a very short while under uh, President Trump. Cindy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Thank you. My pleasure. I appreciate you having me. Uh, my pleasure, indeed. So, again, I enjoyed the book so much, it scared me. But uh, why did you write Conviction Machine, uh, Standing Up to Federal Prosecutorial Abuse? Harvey Silverglade, my co-author, started this project and then invited me to join it. He wrote Three Felonies a Day, and I had written a book called License to Lie, Exposing Corruption in the Department of Justice. And we just thought that our perspectives came from different places but joined in an amazing way to promote criminal justice reform. Harvey's done criminal defense work much of his career, if not all of it, and I have been primarily a federal appellate practitioner, but in the process of representing some Merrill Lynch executives in the Enron litigation and working on the Arthur Anderson case, I saw prosecutors literally make up crimes and hide evidence that showed the defendants were innocent while they destroyed Arthur Anderson and 85,000 jobs for nothing. The oh. Supreme Court reversed it a couple of years later in a unanimous decision finding that the prosecutors had made up a crime and uh, pieced together parts of two different statutes to do so and also took criminal intent out of the jury instructions completely in the Anderson case to achieve that conviction. But, of course, Anderson was destroyed as soon as it was indicted. Hmm. That's what they intended to do in a major power play. And Harvey's Three Felonies a Day book, focused on overcriminalization, how the government has enacted so many laws that the average citizen commits three felonies a day going about their normal daily activities without even knowing they're doing it. Yeah, amazing. And uh, as you pointed out, uh, about a third of the adult population in the United States has some sort of a criminal record, which is just astounding. And 3% of the uh, United States population is, has been imprisoned at one point or another. So, uh, And, of course, we're seeing uh, seeing the this played out right now with the Michael T. Flynn situation. So what are the major uh, defects of our criminal justice system today? Everything from the way grand juries rubber stamp indictments to the FISA court rubber stamping applications for the most intrusive of all possible warrants to juries assuming people are guilty when they walk in the courtroom. Mm, yeah. I mean, it's, it needs a, a top-to-bottom overhaul and re-education of the public as to what's going on out there. That's, that's why we wrote the book, to try to educate the public to some of the crucial issues. Yeah. And of course, we've, we've only touched, we've only scratched the surface on that. 
And the problem is, of course, extremely complex, but yeah. we had to start somewhere. Well, and uh, I will say this. I read the book. You came up with solutions for many of the problems that, are, it seemed to me, are fairly easy to enact. I mean, they, they certainly make sense, common sense. And it certainly appealed to and applied to uh, a layperson like myself. And I'm not a lawyer, but I certainly appreciated what you had to say in the book. So, um, and you, you question, and what I find out is you're questioning federal prosecutors and their motive. Uh, how come they prize convictions at any cost over seeking justice? I don't know. It didn't used to be that way. It's certainly not the way I was raised as an assistant U.S. attorney under nine different U.S. attorneys from both political parties. Of course, we're talking more than two decades ago now. I'd rather not count exactly how many, mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, it, it just it's it's morphed into something that's about power and control instead of truth and justice and that's very very sad and very scary scary indeed so what what's made our federal criminal justice system so dangerously effective at turning citizens into convicts how how do, how do our how does what happened to due process judges have gotten too complacent in serving their gatekeeping function and juries tend to believe that once somebody's indicted, they should be convicted. When the, any, anybody could be indicted for almost anything, the prosecutions proved that with the Anderson case when they indicted Anderson for something that wasn't a crime. And then the same with four Merrill Lynch executives in the Enron litigation, which caused me to write license to lie exposing corruption in the Department of Justice. Hmm. So it happens all the time. Everybody needs to be vigilant, and judges in particular could do a whole lot more to throw out cases that are meritless. And we saw an example of that last summer in the Eastern District of Virginia in a case against Mr. Flynn's former business partner. Yeah, The judge let it go to the jury to decide it when there was absolutely no evidence whatsoever to get it to the jury on several of the key elements, but it went anyway. And then he wound up having to throw it out after the jury verdict. I have to ask you about this, Michael T. Flynn. It seemed to me that the judge is a is a political activist, more than a, ju- than a judge acting properly in judicial system, and uh, so... And you've stepped up, you've represented him at a point where he was about to be uh, not only convicted, but uh, sent to jail, and uh, you've been handling his situation. So, how? I mean, it looked like this was a product of the Mueller investigation. They're out to get Trump at any cost and to ruin the life of a very good 33-year veteran in the service just doesn't make any sense at all, and threatening to throw his son in jail. It's just enraging. It is enraging, and I was certainly disappointed, particularly in Judge Sullivan's ruling on the our request that the government produce all the evidence that shows he's innocent. The government has not done that. We don't even have the original FBI 302 report of his interview. The first and probably second drafts of that, I think we're missing at least two of those copies, and there were significant changes made over the night of February 10th by Agent Strock and Lisa Page, Mr. McCabe's special counsel. There's a lot of information in the Flynn case that we have not been given, and I've really, I mean, Judge Sullivan is actually the judicial hero of my first book, License to Lie, mm-hmm. because he ordered Brady evidence produced in the Stevens case and then threw the case out because the government had hidden 
evidence that showed he was innocent. Yeah. And for him to deny that Brady request in a 92-page decision was just extremely disappointing. Yeah, and uh, did I? Maybe I've gotten the cases mixed up. But apparently, the uh, the FBI and the the uh, Department of Justice said they've lost the file for, on on the Flint case. It's the original 302 that Mr. Van Grack, the prosecutor, said was quote not in his possession end quote which means <laughs> that it's been deep-sixed at the FBI. And then Judge Sullivan made a casual comment about, oh, well, you know, sometimes things get lost. <laughs> well, no, nothing is lost in the FBI sentinel system. It's digitalized and, and recorded, and if it was ever put in there, it's not lost. Uh, and the original notes are supposed to go in a, what's called a 1A file. Yeah. And they also have subfiles that they tend to hide things in when they don't want to produce them. But it's it's there somewhere. They're just sitting on it. And I would hope that Mr. Jensen, the U.S. attorney who's been tasked to review the case by Mr. Barr, would get to that very quickly and resolve the issue. I mean, yeah. for a number of reasons, we've urged the him to dismiss it for egregious government conduct, not the least act of which was inserting a, an FBI agent into what was supposed to have been a presidential briefing of candidate of nominee Trump and Mr. Flynn simply because Mr. Flynn was going to be there. Mm-hmm. And that was part of the FBI's actions back in August of 2016. In fact, if you look at the Strzok page text messages, they text about the insurance policy in McCabe's office on August 15. The very next day, they opened the case against Flynn. They'd already opened against Manafort, Page, and Papadopoulos, I think. And then on August 17, they slipped the agent into the presidential briefing. And we didn't find out about that until December of this year. Yeah, so disappointing. Last year. Yeah, weaponization of the judicial system is just so disappointing. And uh, there's so many strong and important points that you make in in your book. And again, extremely readable. Before I let you go, uh, Sidney, I'm wondering if if you could just mention some of the fixes that could uh, help us get back on track for fair and, and equal justice under the law. Well, we as individuals need to remember the presumption of innocence and be willing to serve on juries and apply that presumption of innocence. It's just so important. It's a foundation of our system. And we need to view every prosecution with some skepticism. We simply cannot trust prosecutors the way we used to be able to. The real evidence has to be weighed and and judged very carefully. We need our citizens to urge Congress to pass something like the Fairness and Disclosure of Evidence Act Mm. that mandates prosecutors to turn over evidence favorable to the defense and puts penalties, real penalties, on their failure to do so. Because right now, prosecutors have absolute immunity. And that's something else that needs to be removed legislatively. Prosecutors should not have absolute immunity. They should have nothing more than limited or qualified immunity whatsoever and no immunity for their intentional acts of misconduct. There are far too many of those. There's really no excuse for not turning over evidence favorable to the defense, but yet they do it all the time. Scary stuff. Again, Sidney Powell, co-author, along with Harvey Silverglate, of a terrific read. It's called Conviction Machine, Standing Up to Federal 
prosecutorial abuse. Highly recommend it. Sydney, I genuinely appreciate your time here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. My pleasure indeed. So that's the interview, and I really appreciated her time on that. As you can see, it's a very, very serious problem that needs to be addressed, and uh, she raises a lot of key issues, and I highly recommend, again, uh, her book. Okay, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Boo Mortensen. We're going to find out what's new with Boo, that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Whoop, I don't think I played that. There it is. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Luke Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I proudly serve on the board. And the Foundation for Government Accountability has many programs, among them creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Seton Motley, who's the founder and president of Less Government. Right now, it's time to find out what's new with Boo, Boo Mortensen, right here on the Paradise Coast. Boo, thank you so much for joining us. Well, it's my pleasure, and I have to say, this is a first for all of us. You're talking. Don't you remember? 
polio when you were a kid? I certainly do. I mean, my mother was scared to death of, and I, you know, controlling my behavior, not wanting me to go outside and all kinds of things. Thank God for uh, uh, Saul. What's his name? Jonas Salk. Uh, Jonas Salk. That's it. Who uh, created the uh, vaccine? So this is a scary time. Well, I'll I'll tell you what. The, the, yes, I. For the virus, yes, but if you look at what the cost up to, like with the, I read somewhere the MBA closing is going to cost $972 million, uh, $400 million with all of these music venues closing, $100 million because Broadway has gone dark, $2 million airline seats are empty, the airlines are in the tank, the stock market is plummeting, I mean... Holy Toledo. Uh, I know. and Well, here's the thing. It, it, what this demonstrates to me is we're all in this together. I'm on board. I'm going to do whatever the president suggests in terms of be, doing my part to, to help solve this problem. Because until we get on top of this virus and, it be, and the impact begins to wane, once we begin to see some light at the end of the tunnel, I think... Uh, economic activity will pick up. When economic pack activity picks up, we're going to see the markets go up. I think it yeah. smiles on people's faces. So we're all in this together. We need to do our part. Let's get let's get on top of this. I agree, I, and I have to say, I think so far he's done a good job. However, I thought because he didn't want to risk the political blowback that he wasn't doing enough. I thought he'd quarantine the nation, but then yesterday when he was asked. He said, you know, there are parts of the country that are affected. You can't do that. And, yeah. You know, and I guess he's right. Well, and I guess it's up to the individual states and cities to do it. Well, and I'll say this, too. Yeah, we, uh, you know, you want, you have to put some responsibility on the citizens to, for, to make good decisions. And if you start making these edicts going out to yes. ev that affect everybody, you know, that's like a size 44 shirt. Hopefully everybody's size 44. It just doesn't work that way. So uh, there's going to be exceptions to the, these major rules. So, you know, let's, why don't... He's asked us to do certain things. You know, for example, no groups larger than 10. I don't plan on <laughs> getting together with, well, groups of more than four. That would be a foursome in a golf game. <laughs> but, you know, I think, you know, the whole idea is we can do this if we do it together. Right, right. Now, are you tempted to go into the market and buy, buy, buy? No, uh, you know, we have a nice division of labor in our household, and one of the things I don't do is go to the market. How about you? Oh, no, I mean the stock market. Oh, the stock market. Well, you know what? I don't have dry powder at this point. <laughs> I mean, and uh, the way I'm coping with this is I'm just not looking at the results. So I'm just going to... Amen. Yeah. Amen. Yes. I will say I did the other market, the grocery market. I went last Sunday morning when it was, I thought, okay, maybe people are in church, maybe not. Yeah. But they sure as hell won't be in the grocery store. Now, I go grocery shopping all the time at 7 in the morning, always. Mm. Wow. I got there at 10 after 7. There was virtually no place to park. Yeah. And I knew I was in big trouble. And then you go in. I have never seen, is it that old people get panicked? It was so ridiculous. People are running around bug-eyed with their carts filled with water and toilet paper. <coughs> One guy had 15 cans of tomato sauce. What the hell is he going to do with 15 cans of tomato sauce? <laughs> I don't know. By the way, Boo, I hope that wasn't a dry cough we just heard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm afraid to cough. Good heavens. Um, 
no, it's not. Anyway, it was. It's it's just like what do you think? People were running around holding onto the cart with gloves on. Yeah, and I thought. Oh, get a grip! Uh, yeah, it is, that's uh, that's what's going. On. In fact, I I read this morning uh, our, our county commissioner sent out a little briefing here for Collier County, and, and he suggested that the sheriff's office is now receiving approximately twelve hundred calls for service per day, and many of them are to shopping centers and to shopping malls uh, to help resolve some of the conflicts that are arising among people who tr- are shopping. They're you know, fighting over toilet paper. And <laughs> yes, oh, I can totally. You only have to go in there to see. You, it, the the uh, level of panic is palpable. I mean, it's, it's... And I think, why are you... You goofballs? I mean, get... And plus, there's nothing in the shelves. Yeah. You can't find peas. I, I mean, uh, pasta. Of course, with the one guy having 15 cans of tomato sauce, you can't. <laughs> the, the tomatoes were uh, tons and tons and tons of dry. I mean, there was no meat. Yeah. No meat. And I thought, good heavens! I, I just one guy went to Costco, which which was a horrible mistake. He told me he spent two hours. Now, the fact that he would stand there for two hours, the lines to check out at Costco were two hours long. Yeah, yeah it's it's just amazing. And just think about this. As this occurred to me as you were speaking. What happens if, for example, there there's a strike or, there, or a lot of the uh, truck drivers end up uh, getting the flu or getting the coronavirus? I mean, the supply chain could get interrupted by all the things that that are going on right now. We'll get fewer things at the store. So the president's admonition to us is basically, hey, cool off, cool down, <laughs> you know, take it easy. This is not the end of the world. I think he's right. But he did say, by the way, though, that this could go into uh, July or August, uh, this, yeah, this scary stuff. Scary stuff. No, I... I Oh, you know, I think everybody will then have coronavirus fatigue yeah. because you just can't keep this level of hysteria up. Uh, <clears throat> I would think it'd start to die down in two weeks by the end of March. Yeah. <clears throat> However, I did notice in the newspaper that all the cancellations in Collier County, and they were canceling things out into April, May, and June. No question. I was on the board of uh, Gulf Shore Playhouse, and those are such difficult decisions. You know, it's <clears throat> it's not yes. like money grows on trees, especially these days. And uh, part of the per- performing arts is, of course, the financial aspects of it. And when you have you know no ticket sales, you got money going out, no money coming in. So it's it's a big problem. It is, and I understand that. That's why they said it's costing Broadway fifty million to close. Yeah, and I can understand that. Yeah, you know they're shutting down. They're not making revenue. All these big fundraisers. You know, I'm, I'm supposed to go to two fundraisers in early April, and I am just waiting for them to. They have not been canceled yet, but they will be. That is such a great point because I would guess I don't know who the organizations are, but a major portion of their revenue, of their yes. money that's donated, will be coming in during those periods of time. They count on it. It's a big deal. Yeah, I talked with a guy yesterday. Uh, actually, Mark Schulman, who's my guest, uh, he was in Israel, and he said that his one of his closest friends, after 35 years, had gone out of business. Uh, he was a travel guy. He was arranging for visits to Israel for people. People visit and go see different sites and so forth. After 35 years, closed down because of coronavirus. Oh my! Isn't that something? Well, we'll so, see that. You yeah, know, that's what's really scary. That's what. Those are the types of things that go on. And there'll be some positive things, like, for example, uh, the. Uh, 
right now p- people are going to school virtually you know young people uh, and yeah. people in college so there could be some innovation coming out of this that could reduce the cost of education and get group meetings fewer group meetings and so forth so uh, again uh, this is a time of change and there's opportunity when change is occurring well, you know what? I like your spin on it. I think that's great. You're looking for positives, and uh, there will be a lot of positives. There are clearly the negatives, but there will be. There will be a lot of innovation and in changing how schools are. Did you watch the debate between I, Biden? I, I and watched. I watched Sanders? a portion of it, but uh, my interest waned. And oh, my heavens. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just sad. And any of these guys bark out what they're going to do. No, no, there's going to be a moratorium and sending, uh, you know, uh, sending people back to the countries of origin and so forth. I mean, they, they, you know, you, they can't make these decisions on their own when you're president of the United States, as we've seen with President Donald Trump, although he's made a lot of executive decisions that have been so positive. Yeah, it's we watched the debate, and I thought, you know, if I were a Democrat, I would be looking at those two guys thinking, this is the best we can come up with. <laughs> yeah. This is it. There's 300 million people in this country, and these two are it. Yeah, and we're the party of diversity, quote-unquote, right? And uh, we've got two old guys, <laughs> two old white guys up there debating to become the candidate. Oh, the irony man. is pal- oh. palpable. Yeah, it it, it that it was grim. I just walked away from it. I did. I, I watched it for about an hour, and I thought, I can't take this anymore. This Biden seems dazed and confused, <laughs> and Bernie Sanders is, is a communist, as I know. far as I'm concerned. I know. Boo, it's always a pleasure to get your commentary here in the show. I genuinely appreciate your taking time. Kind of the lighter side of the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, all right. Stay, stay, stay healthy. You stay healthy as well. Thank you. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting uh, with Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcast Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. For the best in food and drink as well as great live entertainment, go to the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar. Formerly known as Weekend Willie's, the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar has terrific new local owners offering a great new upscale decor and a fabulous new menu. Linda and I are weekly regulars to hear live blues, but you can stop by anytime for great food and drink, to watch your favorite sporting event, or to hear great live entertainment five nights a week. The Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar is located at 5310 Shirley Street, just off Pine Ridge Road, and it's open from 11 a.m. until close every day. Visit the website dogtoothnaples.com or call 431-7004. That's 431-7004. I hope we'll see you there. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, 
Car Wash and Detailing Center and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you can get tickets now by visiting the website at golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we have Seton Motley. Seton is the founder and president of Less Government. Seton, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Seton. Tell us about Less Government. Yeah, we exist to reduce the size, scope, and sphere of influence of government, and uh, I didn't want a virus to shut everything down, but yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, uh, it's it's not no government, it's less government. That's, which, that's which less all, government, that's right. And uh, some of the things that are going on, and he's uh, coming, you know, what I appreciate right now about this coronavirus is the president is stepping up, and he's not necessarily giving out edicts he's asking for cooperation from ceos from the no, Amer- we got to, we got some edicts here in maryland bob yeah well you're maryland <laughs> oh my god what a freak out this is <laughs> I, I had to go back to the gym yesterday afternoon <laughs> and do tuesdays and wednesdays workout just to buy a little time but i don't think it's gonna that's gonna be nearly enough i mean we're, we're probably gonna, they, they closed all the restaurants to to sit in eat in service they closed the, all the gyms for God knows how long, weeks and weeks and weeks, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, it's just for nothing. This is nothing. This is nothing. This is nothing. Yeah, and yet, uh, you know, uh, we're watching these markets just melt down. The markets got creamed yesterday, and uh, the futures are... Yeah, they, they, didn't, t- they didn't take the uh, Fed's move to move, go to zero interest rates as a, po- as a positive. <laughs> they took it as a sign of panic. Yeah, so, so what is... I expected I expected I expected a very positive financial response. No, they saw that as a panic move. Yeah, they certainly well that's exactly right. The market knows and uh, that's that's what happened. So, but nevertheless, I mean, I'm on board. I I just we got to get through this and we all have to participate and help out, do our part. Uh, we had 60 million people get the swine flu. I know. <laughs> in 2009 and we didn't do any of this stupid stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and here's I, so a friend of mine who's in the older age range put a great point, made a great point on Facebook. Shouldn't the old people that are susceptible, well, particularly uh, uh, in trouble with this virus, stay home and everybody else go out and build up immunity to it? Yeah, that's an interesting point. I but- mean, why, is, why am I at the age of 48 supposed to stay home? When I'm not going to die if I get it, this is ridiculous. Well, the, I think the 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 idea is that you, while you may get it and or not get it, you can become a, a carrier, and uh, the consequence. Well, so what? So the, the, I don't interact with people who are eighty and infirm. <laughs> yeah, well, good point. You know, hey, well, to your point though, I mean, uh, we're going to have twenty five thousand people die of the flu this year. Nobody seems to be too concerned about that, and of course, so we're aborting babies like there's no tomorrow. So. There's I just this is the, 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 the 
I, I kind of view this as a, as a dry run to see if, if the government can get the sheep to follow when the sheep are following, unfortunately. Yeah, well, good point. I mean, uh, the question you're raising is, are we overreacting? There's certainly that possibility. I guess the, the, the philosophy is it's better to be safe than sorry. No, it's not. It's not. You know, uh, um, Mike, Mike Rowe, who does dirty jobs, um, who did dirty jobs, who's mm-hmm. a brilliant guy who did over, I don't know how many thousands of ridiculously crazy, awful jobs. Um, he, goes, he goes, one of the stupidest expressions is safety first. Mm-hmm. No, safety's third. You've got to get the job done. <laughs> yeah. This is ridiculous. And he didn't say it about coronavirus. He just said it in general. Yeah. But I think it certainly applies to coronavirus. Safety is not first. If safety were first, we'd never accomplish anything. Right. There's always risk. So uh, I want to just point out that you wrote your, in your latest commentary and column, uh, so you pointed out there's, uh, there's a, some uh, light at the end of the tunnel of this whole experience about... Well, yeah, you know... I've been self-employed. June will, June will be ten years mm-hmm. um, of me working out of, out of my house, and I've done it before. I was fortunate enough to do it before um, in the in the mid two thousands for a little while, and that was fantastic too. But what's happening is, of course, everybody's self distancing. Hashtag self distancing, mm-hmm. and and everybody's being recommended if they can to telework. Now, of course, this doesn't work for restaurants. This doesn't work for factories and you know and manufacturing and, and truck driving and all that. But there are a lot of people who climb into cars and waste an hour each each way each day uh, driving to offices and. Thanks to the internet, we don't need to do that anymore. A lot of these people don't have to do that anymore, and you know everybody gets into a rut where they just they just it, it becomes routine and they don't analyze what. There's a great story Newt Gingrich told when he won the speakership in the mid '90s, where he, you know he talked about rethinking the bureaucracy. He said. The army, the 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 the, the, um, the artillery, the, they had a regulation all the way up, I think, until World War II, that said you fired the cannon, and then one of the guys behind the cannon ran to the front of the cannon, and they were trained to do that all the way up to World War II. And finally, some master sergeant who was in charge of training said, "Wait a minute, why why does that guy do that? It was to steady the horses." <laughs> there hadn't been horses around artillery in about 80 years. Yeah, yeah. But they'd gotten so into the routine of doing it, no one thought about why this happened. We just, you know, it's just always been done this way. Well, that's a very stupid answer. Yeah. So my point is, there are, because of the forced telework, a lot of people are going to discover they don't have to go into work. And the reason telework is possible is because of the alleged evil internet serv- allegedly evil internet service providers. Yeah. Comcast, AT&T, Verizon, Time Warner Cable, Charter Communications, all the guys that you pay to connect you to the internet. Now, they've been the, they've been the bad guy in the government uh, regulatory scenario from the very beginning of the internet for 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 a very you know a very understandable human nature reason. Right. Everything on the internet was free, right? You, you know, no matter what you went and did, it was free. Right. And the only guy charging you for the part in, in this little party was the guy getting you to the party. That was the internet service provider. So human nature is going to dictate. Oh, that's the that's the bad guy. He's the bad guy. The guy going around the keg party at college, passing out the hat, saying "kick in." That's the bad guy. <laughs> well, 
what, now, of course, we've discovered that the allegedly free keg party that, that Google and Facebook were having was actually an, uh, a massive IT theft uh, operation. Exactly. <laughs> you know, we didn't realize what a valuable commodity our digital data was, our online person, persona was. And Google invites you to this free party and then steals all your data and sells it to the advertisers. Well, now that we're starting to figure that out, I'm hoping that will transmogrify the reputation of, of uh, Internet service providers to a degree. But let's be realistic. Google hasn't made telework possible. They're riding on the same rail, the same ISP rails you're riding on. Facebook hasn't made telework possible. They're riding on the same rails you're riding on. The rail builders, the Internet service providers that have spent more than a trillion dollars building out this infrastructure are the sole uh, companies responsible for, uh, you know, what, 100 million Americans to start staying home uh, in this coronavirus freakout right. and work from home. And by the way, you know, you hear about, oh, our speeds aren't fast enough and our speeds aren't as fast as South Korea and blah, blah, blah. Well, first of all, South Korea is the size of what, Delaware? Uh, you know, we got a little more ground to cover. But two, what you're going to, what a lot of these people are going to discover is the speeds that the left is constantly harping on is not fast enough. 99% of Americans have way more speed to do anything they need to do for work at home. Absolutely. Right Abs you know, in fact, Seton, uh, if you th uh, one of the, you're pointing out the, the opportunities that we have to reduce travel time and so forth, good at getting to work. How about schooling? I mean, these kids right now, the schools have been closed. Oh, God, the schools. We're still on an agrarian schedule for the government schools. Yeah, I know. Why do, they ha why do, why do we get the summer off in schools? I know. So the kids can help their parents pick crops. <laughs> I mean, talk about not analyzing what we're doing and applying modern thought to an ancient schedule. Government schools are the worst. That's right. And yeah, I mean, and, and not just K through 12 either, but colleges. God, everybody should be going to college online. Screw the Ivy League. Well, just think, just think about the money that could be saved in tuition and uh, costs and so forth, and the quality of education. You know, you can learn at your own pace. Uh, you know, there's so many positives to this. So hopefully, oh, it's so much better than a classroom lecture. It's just hopefully there's light at the end of this this tunnel. Hopefully. These will be some of the good things that come out of uh, this experience that we're having. And once right now. again, I mean, I edited a bunch of stuff out, and I still had a thousand words. I would have, go, you know, you know how I feel about government schools. Yeah, you, they should be abolished. You know how I feel. Uh, you know that one of the books I'm going to write is "College Is for Dummies." I don't like either. <laughs> I, you know, obviously, I think the telework, uh, you know, the tele whatever, telework, teleschool, whatever, I think is going to hopefully dramatically revolutionize all of the above. Absolutely. Seton Motley, again, the founder and president of Less Government. I encourage you to visit lessgovernment.org. You can also visit Less Government on Facebook. Seton, as always, genuinely appreciate your very informed commentary. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much, sir. My pleasure, indeed. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the uh, Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network.
Do you or a family member suffer from chronic pain in your knees, hips, or shoulders? Joint pain can be a nagging and serious problem requiring expert and compassionate care. I know I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. Until 2006, I was suffering debilitating pain and deformity in my knees. I couldn't enjoy biking or golf or even sleep without chronic pain as a constant companion. Thanks to Dr. George Markovich and the professional staff at the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, my pain is gone, and I'm back to doing the activities I enjoy with no pain. I have a lifestyle I can only imagine. Imagine prior to knee surgery, and you can too. Call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. They will thoroughly evaluate your condition, provide personalized, state-of-the-art treatment, and help you relieve your pain and get back to your active lifestyle. At the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, your care will be professionally managed through every phase of your recovery. For an initial consultation, call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, located off Tamiami Trail in Bonita Springs at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulubee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-3889 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, you know, being part of a business, helping to make things go, helping to create. Uh, it's being part of what of life and uh, having people unemployed. Getting food stamps and uh, being isolated, that's just not the way we should uh, go. So uh, right now, we're not taking uh, moms off of uh, food stamps. We're single moms. We're taking, uh, you know, able-bodied folks and getting them off of uh, welfare and back to work. You can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org, thefga.org. Well, I just want to mention that uh, we dodged a bullet in the last election when we elected uh, Governor DeSantis. He's doing a terrific job for us. Well, the uh, com- uh, his competitor, his the other candidate from the Democrat Party, is a uh, former Tallahassee mayor. Andrew Gillum was seen as a promising Democrat even as he lost the 2018 gubernatorial race. Well, the promising, promising career appears to have clouded by a recent mishap when it was reported that the mayor was one of three men involved in a drug overdose at the Miami Beach's Mondoran Hotel. After the event, the mayor has now released a statement arguing that it was a lapse of judgment after losing the election and falling into a deep depression. Now, how long has it been? A couple of years, right? And uh, he's uh, discovering he's depressed. In any event, um, whole sordid affair is is uh, pretty suspect. He says he's going to go into rehab to deal with the situation. But uh, in any, I'm happy he's and he's going to go into his private life and stop participating in politics. He says for a while until he gets over this whole problem. 
So we wish him well with the effort, certainly, and uh, wish, you know, personally for him and his family, hope everything goes okay, but uh, just so pleased that as a state, we dodged the uh, Andrew Gillum bullet. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Tomorrow, we're going to visit Bob Levy. Bob is the chairman of the Cato Institute. We'll visit with Andrew Joppa, professor at Mercy College and author of Josephus of Oz, as well as Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston and author of several books. Uh, Just a very interesting guy. So we're going to be doing that. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. so much for listening to the Bob Harton Show on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharton.com. <laughs>